Hamilton next week. Right? Yo! Welcome to another episode of the Where It Went podcast, where we are back on track discussing the Revelation Records discography. Discography or catalog? Discography. Not catalog? What's the difference? Canon? Eh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. A bunch of <laughs> Revelation Records in chronological order. And this this episode, I almost said this week, but we can't really do that anymore. Jason, Yo. tell the people what we got this episode. This episode, we're talking about Revelation Records number 52, Whirlpool's second LP, Liquid Glass. Um, this is a very interesting record, and it was a cool conversation. I can't wait for everyone to hear it. And I cannot wait for our patrons to hear the outro chatter, because don't forget, we got this new format we got going on where regular listeners only get to hear this little intro and then the interview. And if you want to hear us talk all of our sweet, sweet feelings about the album, you gotta be uh, subscribe on Patreon. Or sometimes but, we have we don't even talk about the album like Texas. <laughs> yeah, very true. And we talked about Ignite. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but even before we get into that, I think it's already time to. I want to give a bit of bow to this episode sponsor, War Records. Good friends of ours. Um, a lot of cool stuff coming down the pipeline. The pipe, the pipe, the pipe. The pipe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bringing it down. I think one of the one of the main coolest things is the uh, Berthold City LP. When words are not enough, uh, you'll be listening to this on March 9th. You have to wait a little more than a week, and you'll be able to hear the whole record. Um, and I'm sure it smokes. Our very own Jason does guest vocals on it. Yeah. Um, which I cannot wait to hear that. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of cool limited versions. I'm sure some of them are already sold out and more are going to be sold out by the time that you listen to this and by the time the record comes out because War Records puts out tons of heat and the stuff looks great. So yeah, it goes people, fast. Yeah, people people buy it and rightfully so. So, yeah, it's a 12-track LP. Um, and you can hear the song With This Regret now on all your normal streaming sites or YouTube or what have you. Um, some cool stuff coming up, a bent blue, um, reissue of their demo onto vinyl with some additional tracks, uh, LP by Enact, an LP by Fixation, uh, a repress of the Enforced at the Walls LP, and uh, a brand new bent blue record, so not the demo, um, a brand new LP. Check out war-rec.com and order today today right now now Let's just yeah, right pause now. it hey i'm i'm not gonna lie okay so listen i saw bent blue and Berthold city a couple weeks ago at the shea cafe in san diego and andrew was wearing a white war records hoodie and that thing looked fucking crisp man oh nice it yeah. looked crucial it, um uh, what's his name dean dean's nuts Jeremy Dean. Jeremy Dean did some some of the uh, uh, artwork for the War Records logo, and it looks great. Um, Berthold City, their new stuff, it's great. 
uh, Bent Blue, their new stuff and their old stuff is great. Like he's got an awesome, awesome lineup right now. I really, really Agreed. enjoy what what Andrew's doing. Oh, yeah. And a bunch of just fucking cool people who care about hardcore, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's easily one of the best labels going. It's it's already got that brand recognition where I see something, someone signed to the label, I'm checking them out. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Before well, I forget, before yeah, we get into got? the interview, uh-huh. uh, Rachel from Whirlpool is still doing music. It's underneath Great Northern. If you want to look up Great Northern on Bandcamp, it'll come up. And she said that they are mixing for a record in April. So they're going to be putting out a release sometime this year. Hey, judging by just like a Google image search that I did when last time when we, we did this interview, it looks like they've been doing that band for a long time, right? Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So check them out. Yeah. Uh, and I forget, Rodney was talking too about, well, you know what? Let's let them yeah. speak for themselves. Yeah, let's let them talk. We, uh, <laughs> we talked with Rodney and uh, Travis, and it was a fun convo, and we hope you enjoy it. Bit of both. Kick, wait, oh, oh, I almost said bit of both, but really it's time to kick it. Can I kick it? Kick it, kick it. guy i love foster <laughs> that's great but well thanks guys for for coming on again with us um sure sure javier you think it's time to kick it yeah let's kick talking about today we're talking about the 1996 album liquid glass by whirlpool so this is uh rodney and travis this is your second time on our on our show for this rodney you uh, of course i think this is your maybe fourth or fifth right. time joining yes. us <laughs> i missed the self-title that i could have been on five times i think yeah <laughs> he's a frequent flyer i think maybe that's that might be the most um, except for either drew or richie right <laughs> yeah, yeah maybe yeah we're gonna have to um I, i'm gonna go to the trophy store and make up a uh Oh, oh, I don't know where, where it went. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you guys are going to cover the crisis catalog, I got a record on that. Oh, yeah. Ah. <laughs> Which record is it again? Overland. Okay. Yeah. We're at- We've had people ask about crisis. Are you guys going to do crisis? We're like, yeah, maybe in. 2040 when we're yeah. done getting through this I, catalog. I, I would probably be one of the um, 25 listeners to be really excited for a function episode or oh, that'd uh, be great. Yeah. Onion. There's I like function. <laughs> that fun hey, that function seven inch is a great hardcore record. I stand by that. Uh, but anyway, Greg, why don't you uh, kick it with some questions? What do we got? So last time we spoke. Um, we were talking about the self-titled, the, de- the mm-hmm. whole debut. You guys had done some touring, and then really, basically, like a year after the self-titled comes <coughs> Liquid Glass, which to me, this sounds so much more like you guys have been playing together for a while. I know when we spoke last time, we even mentioned how like Rachel's stuff was added on the first album that 
you know, yeah. the 11th hour, basically. Yeah. I feel that one of the things that immediately jumps out on this album is that it sounds like, like a band. Um, yeah. Well, it's been playing together. Because we just did the building record. And I'm like, yeah, if you can get in a band with Scott McPherson, like stuff's going to sound like finished and cool kind of, you know, like because that building album and then this one, like the drumming, you know, we all have neat guitar parts or whatever, but the drumming on it is just so cool. All the different things he does and that just so tight with all the, we had a little, got a little carried away with the tempo changes or whatever, but everything's like locked in and yeah. So. And he was real new at that point too. He was, I mean, he had hardly been playing with us at all at that point. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, we were all better too. We were all like, you know, we'd been playing those songs a while, I think, before we recorded them. Yeah, it all gelled on that one. Yeah, I think it's a better record. That's actually I, did, probably I mean, I'll one come my, out now and say I think it's a better record for sure. I think it's probably one of my favorite things I ever. I think that and building were kind of the height of the sort of my favorite stuff. You know, through that whole kind of period. Yeah. So what what about this record makes it one of your favorites that you work on? I well, I just got to do everything I wanted to do, kind of like you know, it was all my songs, and then well, mostly you know my ideas, and then just the sound of it. It was interesting, you know, like every song was kind of different, and and it just sort of realizing ideas I had that didn't really work for Sensefield, and. Uh, it's just so fulfilling. Like when it was done, I'm like, yes, that's exactly, you know, now when I look back, I'm like, maybe a little less screaming would have been good. A little more singing, <laughs> but overall, like at the time, it's just so satisfied. You know, most records you finish it and it's cool, but you're like, maybe one other thing could have been different or you could have wished you could have fixed or whatever. But that one just, I don't know. It was just really satisfying. And I think get right that, huh? Oh, go ahead. Keep going. I'm sorry. I was like, getting that out of my system made me a happier person, I think, for the rest of my life. Like, I had to get, I got to do that, and then I was, like, kind of relaxed after that. Well, I remember you saying, too, when we talked about building, how, like, you're on building, but you kind of took, you kind of let uh, Chris and, and Bunch take the reins a little bit more. So yeah. it's sort of like you got the best of both worlds, because you got to do that and be on that fantastic album, and then you got to still get your creative push through with this, which again, to me, this one's a lot of step. And I, the debut is cool, but I yeah. think it sounds like, you know, a, a project band. And yeah. I think this album to me sounds like, like a real band, like a band yeah. that's been on the road, that's been playing night after night. I think Rachel sounds excellent on this album. I think yeah. her voice sounds strong. I like the screaming. I think it's, it's got, yeah. um, it does have that, like, you know, Frank Black, uh, you know, he it's had a hell funny. of a scream. I think someone in Sensefield or around Sensefield, you know, when there was that tension between me and John, who was going to sing more, you know, I wanted to sing more in Sensefield. And someone said, you're not really lead singer material, I, you know, not as much. And I'm like, I think I am. I'll show you. <laughs> you know, I think it's good. And, you know, it's like... Especially in the 90s with indie rock, like lead singer material. Well, you say you're a singer, you kind of are a singer, right? In that era. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that was kind of, that was part of it. Wanted to and ask about the, the, 
Now, okay. though, when I listen to the record, my voice is the one thing where I'm kind of like, okay, that was a lot of me. <laughs> <laughs> How did the lyric process work? I don't know if it was covered in the last one, but when you and Rachel worked together on doing the vocals, was it something where you would write lyrics or she would write lyrics and then you would she wrote get together? A couple of them. I think she wrote Cindy Crawford Pumpkin and uh, Insecurity. Yeah. And then another one. And I would just sort of take her lyrics and fit them into a melody, into the song. And then I think I mo wrote most of the rest. And it was, you know, some... Travis wrote like, his. Huh? One of oh, yeah, these Travis things on. on. Okay. Um, what's that one called? Suppositions? Suppositions. Yeah, suppositions. Yeah. But, but yeah, was, everything else was all your your lyrics, I'm sure. It was a bunch of, like, Sensefield stuff, you know, stuff from notebooks from, like, Sensefield tours. And, uh, I mean, some of it was pretty random, you know, just stream of consciousness stuff. And I was listening to the end of a Evolver, and I realized I'm, like, screaming, you know, just some random note I line I had in a notebook like at full like you you know it makes sense if you're screaming something that's like intense in a song but I would just it would be like well that's the screaming part of the song so I'm gonna scream you know green hills and white sky and whatever <laughs> so like the lyrical process was pretty uh impulsive spontaneous I guess I mean there's a plan but it was a lot of you know well, each song's kind of different. Some are, are a little more coherent than the others. I saw that, yeah, on one of the songs on Insecurity, it said, written by Bob Stoltz. So was that the lyrics that were written for that? Ah. Oh, wait. That was Rachel's dad. Oh, okay. that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They, they co-wrote that together, or maybe he wrote the whole thing, and she came up with the um, melody. Okay. Right. Interesting. I kind of like that song. It's just so random, like... It starts off with one thing, right? And then it changes halfway through, and then it's a completely different song, and then it just kind of ends. Yes. <laughs> on a three, four. <laughs> I'd love to hear like something like that just come on the radio, and you'd be like, what? Ha, who? What the hell? <laughs> yeah. So was there competition between the two bands? Did you feel any sort of competition with Sensefield on playing shows or, or uh, ideas no, for songs or anything? Whirlpool was just kind of a drag to those guys. Like, you know, why couldn't all that, you know, come be in our band? You know, it's kind of like <laughs> cheating on your girlfriend a little, I guess. They they were just like, uh, you know, you're doing all this other stuff. And uh, Liquid Glass was the one where John Bunch was like, oh, man, why couldn't that have been a Sensefield song? <laughs> oh, the title track. Yeah. The title track. It's funny because in the thanks list, you see a little bit of a... Uh, I don't want to say passive aggressive, but like yeah. you do see like kind of like the, um, you know, thanks John, Chris, and um, Slow Johnny for their tolerance. Yeah, which I thought was kind of funny because <laughs> yeah. I, I get it. It's like, but but um, I I heard more Sensefield vibes on this album. Yeah, for sure. Than I did on the self titled. And well, I, you know, it's I was um, just listening and uh, Cindy Crawford Pumpkin has <laughs> almost found you. Like it does the -na -na -na, like, mm -hmm. and it's even got the harmonic breakdown in the middle. Like, the chords are all different, but it's got I the same listen. kind of feel to it. Well, yeah. it's, the, <laughs> it's the way you do that accent with the chord where it's like da 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 da. You know, like it's not just a straight one or whatever. Kind of like found you had that where everything was da da da. You know, and uh, 
I just yeah, it is kind of found you. That's true. Yeah. So I mean, there's just all kinds of sense field in uh, in Whirlpool. Like you know, those that was just while I was touring with them while I was writing, coming up with all the songs for this. So you know, they were a pretty big influence. Yeah. Deutschland. You're, you're in sense field. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like. It's kind of like when, you know, someone goes solo or something. It's like, oh, this sounds like, you know, yeah. stuff they'd have their band. It's like, well, yeah. And Scott, you know, it was two-thirds of Sensefield, really. So, right. yeah, there was a lot of, but just, you know, more, I don't know, more fun kind of and freer to just do random stuff. Like, Sensefield seemed a little more controlled, you know, what was an official song and what wasn't, you know. And, uh, and Stockburger actually showed up at uh, the studio a few times while Did we were he? doing Liquid Glass, I remember. Yeah? I, yeah. I don't remember why he was there. I think he was yeah. just interested. I think he just wanted to see Travis Laws play bass. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, he was supportive in there, I know, yeah. a few days. So then you had three out of five of uh, yeah. three out of four of um, Sensefield. I mean, not to... <laughs> But you know, and Chris was pretty much like, "Yeah, well, everybody's gonna do what they want." And, and we almost got Chris to play drums at one point. Yeah, oh, wow, yeah, he was on the table for that. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, the drums sound awesome on this. Did you see Scott play with uh, Elliot Smith? I just watched it a little bit. Like I was, you know, when they were on a Tonight Show or something. Okay. I never went to see him play, but. I think, yeah, I think, didn't he play in something else pretty big, too, after that? I forget. I can't remember what the other one was, but uh, he, I saw When Elliot did he Smith. play with, he El played when with did he Beck. Play Elliot Smith? He played with Beck, and he played with Bob Dylan's kid, too, Jacob Dylan. Oh, okay. Beck. I, I, and I, Elliot I, Smith, I, yeah. That's nuts. It was, it was pretty cool to see Scott McPherson just in it. I think maybe in a suit and just keeping a totally straight beat, like, no fanciness or anything at all but just solid as hell you know because it was him like no you know fluctuations or you know anything he's good but uh man what what he must have got out of his system playing in sensefield and whirlpool like you know oh because he was so into the weird times and all that early on you know like complicated drum parts and everything do you think that um maybe part of the reason this was more fun fun I'm, you know at the time compared to Sensefield maybe too was because at that point Sensefield was starting to deal with the whole major label thing Warner Brothers and all that and then this was probably a yeah. lot more freeing that like it's just like hey it's on Revelation our buddy yeah. Jordan's putting it out we're working with Jim Monroe you know yeah. we've worked with before yeah I mean that world made a lot made a lot more sense to me the indie label you know and you're playing shows and selling records you're doing good and yeah with warner brothers it was you know who knows <laughs> we recorded an album for like a year and a half i don't know it was just you know kind of went off a cliff there but the warner days were fun at first and then it just kind of lost direction but yeah that yeah the simplicity of it you know just trying to get people to go see your band and trying to sell records <laughs> yeah and like you said it's just just as simple as just like jordan saying yeah i'll put out the next whirlpool record i love yeah you know, like you said on the on the self-title he's like 
I loved Rodney's songwriting. So I said, yeah, I'll put out the record. And, and the, the second one, you know, like, yeah, I'll put it out. And that's all you just write songs and yeah, kind of hope for the best and hope that they come out nice. And of course, as an artist, you want it to be better than your previous stuff, which you succeeded. So there's yeah. a win, you know? And I always have probably, I don't know, twice as much material as any band needs, you know, any band I'm in. So I just had so much stuff and it was, you know, been working on it a long time. Like I had all these songs kind of worked out. They're just, you know, there's only so many songs a band can take. You got to break out to a different band, I guess. Yeah. I, I was kind of mad that um, Overland wasn't a Whirlpool album, actually. Yeah. 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 It might have <laughs> I love been. that record. That's that's my favorite one of all. Yeah. Like, why couldn't this have been Whirlpool? God. <laughs> Where did that fall timeline-wise? The Overland? Overland? I think it was somewhere around in that area. I just had that period there where I was pretty much just drinking and songwriting, like, was all I did recording. I mean, yeah, it was just... I mean, how many records do you need to do within a space of whatever it was, a couple years? Like, I just, I got the songwriting bug and I couldn't, you know, it was just like, well, there's so many things, you know, you got to do them all. <laughs> Did you do Overland after Liquid Glass? I think so. Because you did that all yourself with Jim, right, in Costa Mesa. 97, yeah. so yeah. Yeah, right. just right after. Right. Because <laughs> you needed zero. one more album from me. <laughs> the year yeah, zero. Exactly. <laughs> so were there Whirlpool songs that were recorded at this session of, of Liquid Glass that aren't on the album that are just sitting somewhere? Or are you saying yeah. you wrote a bunch but only recorded? We recorded a couple of covers, didn't we? Was it on this session? We no, did well, leaving just, on a jet plane. Yeah, we did leaving on a jet plane. And wave and we of mutilation. Did wave of mutilation. Yeah. Oh, I don't know what happened to those. Man, they'd be cool to hear. I think I got a... Jim Monroe sent me a... Oh, well, yeah, Jim's got to have them, huh? Yeah, he's like, I finally found it. And Jim played train. drums on leaving on a jet plane. <laughs> did he? Yeah. I got to hear these. Yeah. It was just funny because he'd been looking for it forever. He's like, yeah, I finally found it. And it's not that great. <laughs> like, All right. When I listen to it, it's kind of cool. It's fun. But, you know, we butchered those songs. And it was just, we were filling up at the end of the tape because they did the two-inch reels. Oh, yeah. You'd always end up with, like, four and a half of extra, extra tape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we were just filling up tape, and it wasn't, you know, wasn't worth the tape. <laughs> so after this comes after this comes out, um, which I think I'm thinking that I couldn't find an exact release date, um, but I think it was like spring or summer of '96. Yeah. Did you guys then go out on tour again on this one? I think we were we almost just, broken up by then. Oh we wow! Just did, <laughs> we just did the one tour when I got home from. Europe, right? You guys met me in New York, and then we just came back across. Met you and Scott in New York, and and Bunch and everyone. But yeah, yeah. And then I was just so irresponsible about keeping the band. You know, it was like, well, I wrote all the songs and put the album out, and then we got home. And I guess Sensefield was doing a lot of stuff, but yeah, it just sort of dissipated for no reason. It wasn't like 
there was a fight or anything. We just, I don't know. I guess I was just bit too doing too much with Sensefield, but I always kind of feel bad about that. Like, went yeah. through recording and touring and doing all that, and then, well, why don't you play some shows? And <laughs> you know, you, you worked it all. You worked out all those songs. Yeah, we were. Yeah, we were totally done by the beginning of '96. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I remember at that point, I joined Peso with Travis and Brandon and Ed Campworth. Um, speaking of, Ed Campworth was on the Liquid Blast um, record as well. Oh, yeah, he's playing keyboard. Yeah, he plays piano and keys, right? Ed Campworth of what band is, what was he in? Save Ferris? Oh, okay. And um, now he's in Long Beach Dub All-Stars? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was that a headlining tour that you went on? Or did you just play shows with, were there other bands that you toured with on that? That was one of those, it was kind of in between. We didn't tour with anybody. I guess we were headlining, but it wasn't like. We were kind of like, yeah, we had a few, like a bunch of shows with Engine Kid and Iceburn. Oh, yeah. And then we had a bunch of shows with Dead Guy. Yeah. <laughs> Which was dead interesting. Guy. I was going to ask. Guy. I saw that dead guy. Dead guy gets thanked in here. Um, Braid, uh, who oh yeah, Braid. Apart. Um, oh yeah, we totally. Yeah, Braid is great. Shades apart. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know. That's, that's pretty much it, I guess, for like hardcore bands or whatever. Dead guy, though. I that's that's that is quite. I mean. Iceburn and Engine Kid is a wild enough combination with you guys, but for some reason, Dead Guy. And the guy would sing with the mic stand like two feet off the ground. Crispy? Just, just with his legs totally Oh, split this just... was the post-Tim Singer era, Dead yeah. Guy. No, that was, that was Tim Singer, but you're talking about the guitar player that would sing with the mic like... Waist level, yeah. Yeah, waist um, level, and down at the ground. Yeah, his name is Crispy, sense. or yeah. his nickname was Crispy. <laughs> yeah, because he ended up becoming, I think, the singer. Like, I think they... Oh, they he did? did? They did another record Screaming with the dead guy, Quintet. Yes. And huh. he sang. Oh, wow. I just always, I always thought that was the best name for a band. Just dead guy. Yeah, yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> For a punk band. Fixation on a coworker. <laughs> that's the nineties, that kind of you know, bill. And it made sense then, you know, like yeah. people that were into both there are people probably there to see both bands that like both. Um, yeah. Which is which is cool. Um the I wanted to talk about the the layout because um I did reach out to Jordan. And he had mentioned Keith uh, Song, who did the layout. Keith Song, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, How did was... you hook up with with him? And what else is he? I'm not familiar <laughs> with uh, that guy's a character uh, with his work. Well, that line in Machine Religion, "I see light through colored glass" or whatever. I was just obsessed with like light coming through whatever you know, like those paperweights or whatever. So it was half that, and then Keith's favorite drink was a, I forget what what cocktail it was, but it was like Roman Coke, maybe. So he drank, the guy just drank constantly. And so he put the his cocktail kind of halfway in with with the uh, the ball thing or whatever. For the for the uh, for the cover. 
Yeah, if you can kind of see, it's like a the, the bottom half is just his his. Uh, I think it's his Roman coat, just zoomed way in. <laughs> oh, and and I wonder, was it an intentional homage to the Breeders' Last Splash because it, it has that same kind of vibe well, to it? Yeah, Liquid Glass is actually about Kim Deal. The title song. Really? Is it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, because yeah. at the end, I like you are the you are the new year, you are the way. That's one of her one of her songs on that. It was I think it was last last splash. It's got that song Aloha on it. Yeah. Yeah. That song Safari. Uh, Kim Deal just kind of has that. Karen Carpenter thing where her voice is almost just like heroin or something like it's so smooth and like the melody part she comes up with. Yeah. I was just obsessed with that, you know, and then I was a huge Pixies fan. And so, yeah, it was a pretty big, it's a not great intentionally, record, but it just, honestly. huh? Yeah. If you it's read those lyrics, it, it changes the whole thing when you realize it's about Kim deal. I remember when you told me that I'm like, Oh, I totally get what you're saying now. <laughs> Just that's awesome. Funny. I always imagine if I ever got to play it first, you'd probably hate it. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know that Kim Deal's a real friendly person. I mean, she's—I don't know anything about her, but I just imagine. Oh, because yeah, we toured with some band, and they were like, "Yeah, I, w- I wanted to get Kim Deal to sign my guitar." And she just carved fuck in the back of it, like really with a knife. <laughs> <laughs> and then she was like, that they works. Were yeah. So anyway, it was just, I don't know if she'd ever appreciate it, but man, her voice just inspired me so much. And the lyrics, you know, and the melodies, not really knowing what she was saying, but it was just all cool and fascinating. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, see, that's why we love doing this. We yes. Unlock, unlock a little mystery. That's right. Um, but yeah, the layout. I like the layout of this. I think. Uh, I think it looks cool, and it does cool. give me those like it, it has more of like an indie rock, like four AD. Yeah. 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 Like that yeah. that kind of feel to it. Um, the uh, cult of mis- misjudgments, sort of inspired by PJ Harvey. Another and the day. time you saw her in the elevator? Yeah, I was in New York. Since we was in New York, and uh, I had this, you know, a couple of guitars in the old hotel. It's this tiny little uh, elevator, and this beautiful lady's just like, lobby. And I'm like, oh, crap, it's PJ Harvey. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> and she was just, you know, it was intense to see, you know, because you know her music. Yeah. And just heavy, and, like, she's just this little person, and, like, just beautiful and strong and powerful. I was like, wow. <laughs> so you guys didn't really get to take this stuff on the on the road as much then, which is kind of like finding this out. It's kind of a bummer because I feel like a lot of these songs are kind of built for like sing-alongs. Yeah. They have like catchy. Um, well, we pretty you know, much played, we, we played pretty much all these songs on the tour in 95. Yeah. But people Definitely. wouldn't have known them, though. That's the bummer. Yeah, yeah. yeah we didn't put the <laughs> album out and then go, and they could have sang, the, sang along with us. Yeah. Yeah, the whole, yeah. like you're supposed to. Yeah. Yeah, I swear, True. I don't know where it was, but someone told me that there was just a slight chance that 
Whirlpool could get a record deal, but I'd have to leave Sensefield or whatever. And okay. it was probably a thing that, you know, was hearsay or whatever. I didn't, but looking back, if I would have quit and just toured with Whirlpool, like it was so much more me, like Sensefield was fun, but Whirlpool was where I got to do, you know, everything I wanted to do kind of. And yeah, I don't know if I would have, like, cause then we could have toured on that. But that, I don't know. It would have been crazy to leave Sensefield right in the middle of everything, I guess. Even though it ended up, it ended up taking five years between building yeah. and tonight and forever. So yeah, I <laughs> could have. Whirlpool yeah. could have had a whole career in that in the time. time Sensefield was trying to make <laughs> tonight and forever. Yeah. Um, if you think yeah. about it like that, it's kind of like, oh man. Because I yeah. think a lot of these songs to me sound like something I would have seen on 120 minutes or something. Like back in the 90s, like it would have fit yeah. in really well with that whole um, vibe. Yeah, I think we ended up on the real world. Oh, really? Background just for, I don't know, for like 15 minutes. It wasn't, you know, <laughs> but, but I just remember hearing rumors that we were in the background of that at some point, nice. but that was about it. Um, so this album is was also recorded at For the Record with Jim Monroe. Yeah. Um, I had a, well, first of all, how long did it take to record this album in the studio? Well, we recorded it twice. You recorded so... the whole thing twice? Yeah. <laughs> oh, crap. I must have blocked that out. What, what happened to the first version? Well, we recorded it once with Brandon, our first drummer, Travis's brother, and it just didn't turn out. He was a pretty new drummer at that point. And didn't really, you know, we talked about this last time about him getting kicked out of the band. Yeah. And he was here to talk about it, so that was good. But, <laughs> yeah, we recorded the entire thing for the record with Jim. And then we decided we weren't happy with it and then recorded it all again with Scott. Wow. Man, I had totally blocked that out. Thanks for bringing that up again. <laughs> I mean, vocals and everything or just the music? I think just... We've gotten remember. pretty far, I think. But not... got, we got to find a copy of that other recording. I, I think we got vocals on there too, at least wow. part of them. Yeah. I see, and then I, I remember a, Dave Mandel. Issue. Dave Mandel wanted to release it at one point on Indecision. Like, yeah. The other version that, that <laughs> never materialized. Oh, Rev, come on, that would be cool. The, another Rev can suck it record uh, featuring Whirlpool. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, so recorded it once, scrapped it, and then recorded it again. What, like two, four days took you to record it? Yeah, it didn't seem that long. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, I can't remember. I think we camped out in the studio a few nights and, like, knocked it out pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. It's the, you know, the, the, ba the meat and potatoes all get done in the first couple days, bass, drums, guitar. Mm-hmm. And then you, the fine tuning is the stuff, the kind of the vocals and the over, overdubs, you know, wasn't so, like you were there every day. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about in the recording, something that really caught my ear as I was listening to this record on headphones, was the weird percussion in suppositions. I mean, at the very beginning of the song and then at the very end of the song, I'm uh -huh. like, what the fuck? is that what what instrument or not maybe a non-instrument was that i think it's a socket wrench 
It's a socket wrench, and then there's like uh, there's a piece of sheet metal. Wow. Like shaking. <laughs> yeah. And who whose idea was that? And who played that? Who played the sheet metal on this record? I, I think Scott actually played the thing, didn't he? he yeah. Played the... he, he played the socket for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and the sheet metal. I don't know. That might have been Jim's idea. That's cool. It's like a it's like such a weird layer to that yeah. song, right? Like that they didn't need that stuff, but hearing it in there, especially with, with a closer listen, like those are the little like tidbits that I really enjoy about either revisiting music lately, especially, or just, you know, uh, with a more critical ear. So I think that's pretty cool that it's... I like I like that the other Travis sounds a little bit like Ozzy on that song, just here and there. Yeah, he does. I get that the Ozzy vibe just a tiny bit. <laughs> There's a few songs on this record that I get a real Jawbox vibe from, um, especially I've talked many times on this podcast, my love for this, the record Novelty. Yeah, there's definitely some guitar stuff, some like octaves, and even just like maybe like non notes, if you will, just like sounds that are coming out of the guitar and overall vibe. I I get a jawbox. Yeah, that feeling from savory, that. Savory was the their sort of hit mm -hmm. back in the day, mm -hmm. and the yeah the rhythm on that. The guitar, the way it, da, da, da. it's like reverse, oh, kind of, and the yeah. beat comes like, oh yeah, that they had a ton of stuff, but yeah, that was genius. Like that, a lot of what I was trying to do, where I don't know, the guitars come in at a weird time, or like rhythm things are different. Like, but Jawbox had a whole, you know, style of that. It was, it was, yeah, they were a huge influence. That's great. Good ear, Hoff. Yeah, I'm glad I caught yeah, it. I can, always, yeah. I can always sense a jaw box happening. Count <laughs> <laughs> on me for that. Yeah, they were a big influence. There's a lot of good... Well, Jimmy at World was just kind of starting then, but I got a demo from them that was amazing. And then... Uh, I forget. There were so many... You know, so many things I was listening to on, on tour... I mean, with Sensefield, you were just pretty much with your headphones on the whole for all the drives. And there's that one Shutter to Think album, I think. Uh, I forget what it's called, but it's super early stuff where it's real pretty, super poppy. Hey, your goat? I think so. I like or even earlier. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, Chris Evenson just always had all kinds of cool, you know cool music and then we got it you know introduced to all kinds of cool stuff on tour yeah i yeah. keep forgetting like Sensefield too you guys toured with i was thinking you know you mentioned jimmy eat world like you guys toured with jimmy eat world you had this the there was a split right the yeah um like there was i was yeah jimmy eat world's got honestly. a couple of those those songs where it just seems perfect like the way they did the guitar part and the drums and everything the rhythm, you know, it's just so satisfying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, this is, I, I always say this, but this was just, I think, a really exciting time for music. Um, yeah, that, that indie rock 
breaking the rules just a little bit, but still kind of catchy. Like, I guess that was sort of my favorite, you know, not super noisy and not super generic or whatever, but just that, you know, well, I just really like unusual music that's soothing, you know, like you can make, it's easy to make unusual music that's annoying and, but doing something that's different, that's still kind of, you know, feels good to listen to. Yeah. And now it's funny because there is such a 90s nostalgia, but like, I love it because that's where I really started falling in love with music was during that time. So it's like some of like a lot of that stuff that you discover from, you know, 13 to 17 or something ends Mm -hmm. up being like the most important stuff that you hear in your life, you know? And for me, it was this whole era of like 95 to 99 or whatever. Um, Yeah. I went to see, I went to a show with my daughter. Uh, I don't know how, but they found me. Have you ever heard of those guys? No. IDK. It's just, there's so many bands where it's just two guys and a laptop and like so much new music. It's like dance, kind of dance oriented, I guess, but like, man, so much music, new music is just, you know, the basic two dudes and a computer. Uh, I guess, I, I mean, it's a lot more practical and yeah. easier to control the sound and everything, but it's just weird. Like everybody has a Mac on the, on stage. But the nineties were just wild too. Like you think about, like you mentioned the breeders, like the breeders had a hit. Like and yeah. that would never happen now. Like there would never be something a hit like with that a guy playing now. here and playing the hi-hat stand on the intro of Last Flash or whatever. Like right. some weirdness like that actually got on the radio. Like that's you know, yeah. It's like very, very of the time almost. Like I mean yeah. the record's great, but it's like that's not what people like that's not what's gonna be a YouTube sensation or whatever. Yeah, it was the whole thing of not being polished, I think, was cool about the the 90s thing. Like, clean and polished was kind of, you know, people were kind of burning out on that when things were too perfect. Yeah. Like, <laughs> bands like Pavement, this is crazy. Like, don't even tune the guitars. Don't sing. <laughs> you know, like, there was so much of that where just bending all the things you're supposed to do yeah. is, you know... So yeah. cute. And they still wrote amazing songs, like yeah. amazingly catchy songs that, you know, I mean, look at Pavement. They're, I'm seeing them in here in October in Philly, yeah. and it's at, like, a big venue. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, they, they endured over time, yeah. and I think it is because they were unique and kind of yeah. did their own thing, and a good song is a good song. I'm a huge fan of the Flaming Lips, and they got, I mean, they're polished now, but there's always just so much wacky stuff going on in the songs and just weird themes to sing about. And like, you know, I just love that kind of. Yeah. Breaking they, out of they the, write great songs too, though. You know, yeah. like they're just yeah. not typical. Yeah. Songs. You still got to have good songs, but breaking out of that, the, you know, I don't know. I don't want to bad mouth any bands, but like, you know, <laughs> The Stone Temple Pilots would sort of be the antipathist to that, you know, where it's just the the music that everybody wanted to hear. It kind of sounds like Pearl Jam or whatever, you know, like cashing in on what's popular kind of thing. And I liked, you know, the other way where it's like, no, we're not trying to make all the bands sound the same and whatever. We're 
everybody's trying to do something unusual. <laughs> Funny the, enough, they, they took Jawbox out on tour. Fun did fact. they? Yeah. Temple Pilots, yeah. Yeah, they, I can't uh, talk <laughs> crap. It's just the music, you know, the sound. Yeah. Where it just doesn't, it sounds like other stuff. It, it doesn't stick out to you because it's like, it's blending in with everything that's sort of popular, I guess. I got a good uh, Stone Temple Pilot story, though. Yeah, kick it. Let's they were playing it. Well, they were called Mighty Joe Young originally, but then they got sued for the, uh, you know, because it's a movie or something. But we, we used to play this tiny little club up in uh, Hollywood when Sensefield was just sort of first starting out. And uh, they, they opened for us, I guess. <laughs> And the singer's all, can I get a sip of your beer? And I'm like, sure. And he just downs the whole thing, <laughs> chucks the bottle, and then they start their set. I was like, man, that was a way to go. That's a way to start it. <laughs> Did they still sound like what they ended up sounding like? You know, on, on I just vaguely remember, but it was huge. Just in this tiny little club, like they were already, you know, going somewhere, I think, or getting attention or whatever. But I just remember it just filled up this. It was like a bar, you know, with a stage. And uh, they started, and it was like, oh, yeah, there's a real band. <laughs> <laughs> they were huge for a while. Yeah, they were huge for a while. Yeah, he had the, I think he had the STP jacket on still. That's where they made up the name. Yeah. They always say, too, that I saw the legend was like they formed at a Black Flag show or yeah. something, like on one of the, like, you know, the last tour, like the 86 tour or whatever they were there. And- <laughs> yeah whacked out on something and decided to start a band. I don't know yeah. if it's one of those things where they just kind of did that to get cred or what, you know, to be like, oh, we like black flag. I don't know. Yeah. But still wild. Nonetheless. Yeah. You're yeah, listening to uh, where it went. The podcast that exclusively talks about stone double pilots <laughs> <laughs> since 2020. Um, Jason, you, you had something to say. Oh, I think we're, you talked about the layout earlier, but I was just going to ask you about this photo, which I think is this one right here. You got yeah. the photo, and then you got the same photo in the background framed up on the wall. Yeah. Where was that photo taken at? Is that not in the record? This is in the CD version. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's, it's buried behind the CD. Like, you can't... Like it, was it's supposed, in the... it was supposed to come with a black CD back, so you could only see their eyes. <laughs> I think their eyes just peek through the hole or whatever, then you'd take the thing out and see. Yeah, right. <laughs> that, that was in Florida. Did we do a hidden track on this record? Um, was we it, didn't. It just ends, right? Was it the Screaming Jay Hawkins, or that was the no, other record? No, that was record? on the first one, right? Yeah, I think it just ends. But Man, yeah, that, missed, that, that photo was Florida, is... for okay. sure. Remember oh, we yeah. stayed at that, that... Oh, it was the girl who booked our tour, actually. Oh yeah, um, Allison Kelly. Oh yeah, is that who the photo is of? Who's the? I couldn't see the photo. Oh no, it's uh, it's Travis and Rodney, right? Travis and Travis. Okay. Let me see the Travi. The Travi. <laughs> and that was Keith Song's idea to put the little picture of us on the wall behind us. <laughs> the picture in a picture. I think it's like three times, and it's in a picture again. But yeah. He was seriously having cocktails all day long while he was working at Rev, I'm pretty sure. He could still do his job. (laughs) I was working there with him, and I can confirm that. Oh, he worked at, (laughs) Keith worked at Rev? Yeah, Yeah. he was there, he was their layout guy. Like, in-house layout guy. 
Okay. Oh, what else did he? What else did he um, design? I'll Do you be, know? Off I'll be right back. Okay. I couldn't seem to find um, mm. anything that. No, neither could I. That he did. You don't know offhand. I'm not really sure off the top of my head. What else? I mean, he worked on a little, had a hand in pretty much everything from, you know, 90. I think he worked there from 95 to 98 or something. But so we might see his name out, popping up a good Whatever came out in that time period, he definitely had a hand in if it was done in house. Now I'll know to look. Did you, oh, did you guys get to, I've never asked this to any of the bands. Did you guys have any say in the song that went on the in-flight program CD? Because I figured that was like that was the first time I heard Whirlpool was on that CD because it was kind of just uh, pretty widely distributed. Um, yeah. Or did or did Jordan just pick? That's probably maybe even what, a question for Jordan. What song was on there? Yeah, I don't um, even remember. Wasteland. Was it? Wasteland, um, I believe. Really. I'm bad with song names. That's an odd choice. Yeah, I don't know if I would have picked that one, but maybe. It maybe. stands out. Yeah. It seems like Jordan would have asked us, like, yeah, which song yeah. do you want on there? It's probably your fault. And, yeah, it's Wasteland confirmed. I, I'm always <laughs> bad with uh, song names. Um, so you guys obviously didn't choose. It just kind of was yeah. picked. Maybe it was, like, focus tracks that they were sending to college radio or whatever. Because um, you did play, I know Rodney's mentioned a couple times, you guys did that CMJ Rev Showcase. Yeah. It was like an insane lineup. It was like <laughs> Sensefield, uh, Whirlpool, Texas is the Reason. Um, who else played that one? Maybe you know? Into Another. Maybe not Into Another. Yeah, I forget. It was a, that uh, night was a blur. I think Shades Apart. It was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, that was great. We flew out one for one day and flew right back home. <laughs> really? Well, we did. <laughs> Me and Travis and Rachel did. Yeah. But you, I think you were on tour at that time. Yeah. But Sensefield, obviously. Because Sensefield played that show as well. I remember we had to practice one night in New York. Whirlpool did, like the beginning of our tour. And I think it was 80 bucks an hour. And you had to take an elevator up to, like, the sixth floor. Yeah, that was weird <laughs> and cool. How do people start bands? <laughs> well, I guess not really in Manhattan. I mean, it was right in Manhattan, so probably not the best place for band practice. But Yeah, that was fun, though. Yeah, yeah that was neat. Liar. I I'm think sure someone saw, else paid for it. We saw Henry Rollins in the street, and uh, I think Travis said, hey, it's Henry Rollins, and he kind of looked scared and, like, like Did it hit in the crowd. <laughs> dude, I remember we were heckling him because I remember seeing him cross the street and I'm like, oh, look at the guy that's got we didn't we were behind him. Uh-huh. And he was like carrying a gym bag. And I remember like I'm like, me and Travis were like, oh, look at that guy that's trying to be Henry Rollins. <laughs> like he's totally like got the same tattoos in the same place. And we're like, oh. He got, he got that look in his he might yeah, have heard or something. I think he turned though. around. We're like, oh, it's Henry Rollins. Okay. He got that fan look in his eyes, kind of like, oh, crap, fans. Like, <laughs> I just, I'm just going to the gym. I don't want to talk to them. They know. They know. Like, I'm just going to work out. I don't want to talk about Black Flag. <laughs> <laughs> that had to be awesome, though, just flying out for one show. Like, you have, I mean, 
that's pretty cool to just be like, get flown out, go to New York, play this show. Was it at CB's or was it at? Um... Yeah, yeah, it was at CB's. Was that it was your fun first to play time CB's as well? Was that your first time at CB's? Definitely for me. Yeah, I think so. We might have played it once before. I can't remember. I'd, I'd stood outside it and like as a fan, I remember outspoken. We got a picture out in front of it and everything. And um, a couple of years before that, but yeah, that was the first time walking in there and seeing the legendary Seabees and getting to play there. Pretty cool. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's just like I said, it's, it's a bummer. I guess the biggest takeaway is it's a bummer that you guys didn't get to get some momentum after this, play some shows get to, you know, play these songs to people who knew them. Yeah. Yeah. And uh sell the record, get more people to know them. Um but sadly, we've dealt with this a lot already on the podcast yeah. with bands that, you know, imploded before they really had a chance to do their thing. Yeah. So, yeah. It's sadly not it's not a unique story in that yeah. in that regard. Um Yeah. So just kind, kind of fizzled of, out. Yeah, I was gonna say it fizzled out, and then and then you said you were doing another band. I know Rodney was with Sensefield. Uh, well, Rodney and Scott, Tra- other Travis. What did he? What did he do after this? Um, he was he, he was actually playing a guitar in a band with me and um, the the other. Well. Me and Brandon, who is Travis's brother, who was on the on first, the first album. Pearl, uh, Pearl record, who was on here last time. Right. But yeah. We were pretty much doing that full time in 1996. Or by what? the time, you know. Travis was in uh, Final Conflict for a long time, wasn't he? That was before, though. Oh, that was long before. <clears throat> well, actually, no. Yeah, he was in Final Conflict in, before Whirlpool, but it kind of overlapped a little bit. That's right. I don't know if you guys are familiar with I don't know if you're familiar, too familiar with Final Conflict, but they just sort of took over. They were like the big, like all the kids and a lot of the kids in Southern California were all into the English, you know, like crass and like all the English punk or whatever. And Final Conflict were kind of the kings of that scene when I was a kid. Did they have Big something Mohawks on ne- Nemesis or no? Were they on Nemesis? Yeah, yeah. they did something on Nemesis, I, I'm sure of. Okay. Big Frank. Yeah, because I think I read about them in the, the Nemesis book, which we've mentioned on here before. Definitely, if people haven't checked that out yet, it's it's pretty awesome. Yeah, and then and those, guys, those guys had the fat house in um, Buena Park, which is right by um, Knott's Berry Farm. But I remember Travis said they used to practice at the Fat House, which was also where, like, 411 practiced, because I guess, I don't know if who lived there from 411. I think Kevin Murphy lived there, actually. So Travis was roommates with Kevin Murphy and the singer of Final Conflict, so Travis would just be home, and then four and one would show up, like Mario and Kevin and Josh Stanton and Dan, and so that was that funny little overlap, you know, that those guys knew the Final Conflict guys, and it was funny to know that Travis knew Kevin, and I was just like, oh, 
I was actually in a band called Terminal Choice that we, you know, we would, we played that, like all the bands, they were all those peace punk bands, like body, it was, well, there was a body count, not the famous one, <laughs> but Final Conflict, Bitter End, you know, they all had that Terminal Choice, like everything was the end of the world. And uh, oh, yeah. we actually we're... played a show though somewhere and John Bunch saw Terminal Choice like long before I was in Reason to Believe. I think there's a picture of him. He's got the classic UC shirt, you know, with the the logo all the way down the front or whatever. And <laughs> it's funny to see early pictures where we thought we were punk and everybody's just wearing a T-shirt. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're all, yeah, messy all hair. <laughs> yeah, and sort of messy hair. Yeah. Well, you know, this kind of explains a little bit more of the uh, far side uh, grindcore shirt, right, Jason? The 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 peace punk far side one that's right kevin murphy lived in a house with a, a member of uh, or, or two members of final conflict you yes know? i got and, vetoed i tried to wear that shirt yesterday and captain said you can't wear that uh and ron, <laughs> ron martinez also from uh final conflict of course uh was instrumental with booking a lot of hardcore shows at chain reaction in the oh really in the late mm -hmm. 90s all of He's kind of the one that gave all of the new, like, heavy metalcore bands, like Throwdown and 18 Visions and all those. He's the one that gave him a shot with uh, playing at Chain Reaction. And um, he was just about the nicest guy. I mean, I've yeah. only, I mean, I only got to talk to him a few times, but like, for being in that scene and everything. And then he was, you know, just super kind and gentle to talk to, like, easygoing. Mm -hmm. included everybody kind of like it was nice yeah he's a great dude actually here's some weird shinfo for everyone i used to teach at a beauty school in costa mesa and one of my students was his now wife so Absolutely. uh so we uh we all went out to dinner together right before lockdown in santa Ana and had a very nice vegan meal with the singer of final conflict and our wives it was very <laughs> nice and normal <laughs> <laughs> Not punk at all. Yes. Yeah, so, so do you guys think it's it's time for Hot Tracks? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go first because I didn't get to participate in the last whirlpool. Um Do you have one from the first album? I forget if we uh I don't remember. I mean we talked about it in the intro yeah. and outro. Also That's true. I'm the only one in this call, not in the band, who saw the band. That's uh, right. Saw Whirlpool play at Coos Cafe, I believe, with March and maybe Palefire. Wow. Uh, maybe Braid. It was like, I'm going to guess 95. It was like early Coos Cafe, maybe still people sitting down at tables, Coos Cafe. Yeah. Um, but my hot track for this record is Windmill. Uh, I almost wish that that had started, like opened the record, because it, it, it has a nice punch at the beginning, and it has like a nice tempo. And uh, it, it, I think like it, it, it grabs me. And so I, I really like that song. You, you stole my pick. Because that. <laughs> that song, like there's so many, I mean, I like them all, but that one just like every part seems like it's all it all just fits together and it's super easy. And like the way me and Rachel's <laughs> vocals sound on that is like, yeah, I was kind of, I could 
done all the songs like that. Like, it just sounds really, I don't know. Yeah, that one came together and, and it's about, you know, being on tour and, you know, the summer days in the, you know, middle of the country and going swimming and just being out, you know, and the, and the wide open spaces and all that. And it was such positive inspiration. And then the whole song came together well. So it was like a nice, you know, nice deal. <laughs> it was a good pick. Awesome. We both have the same one. Knocked it out there. <laughs> well, you started it, Hobbs, so you need to you need okay. to pick. Jason, what's your yes. track? I'm gonna go with the title track, Liquid Glass. It just it's got this cool kind of spacey chill feel to it. And I think that the vocals that you and Rachel play really well off each other on that one. It's got that maximum kind of cool X vibe to it. Yeah, that well, that was the one I spent a lot of time on like that was the not the masterpiece or whatever but that was the one i was like working at you know it was it's kind of an epic you know it goes into different parts or whatever so that's cool you like that one that one that one took a while to like figure out all the stuff and it was fun to play yeah that's a good one we had to throw in the go because go was just a funny thing around rev at the time <laughs> <laughs> And then yeah. there was that, uh, that you're unbelievable. Go, oh, what was that? EMF. Oh, no, yeah. you know, that was a, uh, I think he says, oh, because it's a sample of Andrew Dice Clay. You know how he does it? Oh, yeah. Nice. The knowledge bank. That's a good place where I thought, I, I think I got the pitch pretty close on that go there, though. It almost oh. sounds like that song. <laughs> nice. um, Travis. What's your hot track for Liquid Glass? Um, I think uh, it's a toss-up between, I think, Deutschland. I like that one. That's a good one. I, think I really like the lyrics, especially when Rodney told me what it, was, what it was about. Just being on tour in Germany. I got yeah. the vibe because I'd been there, too. Just really, really kind of a heavy song. Well, you think of all the hellish things that happened in that nice, like, idyllic landscape, you know, just driving across Germany. It's so pretty and green and, like, just to think about the hell that was going on there for those years, you know. It's yeah. like, man, how did that even happen, you know? Yeah. Very somber. And I, what was the one I played um, uh, slide guitar on? That's the first time I ever played slide guitar. Rainy Day Schedule. I yeah, think. that's the name of it. That was that was I like that one too. But yeah, I'll say Deutschland. That's my pick. <laughs> so Greg, that just leaves you. Leaves right? me. So I I wrestled with what was my favorite. I think there's a lot of potential. I thought about the title track, like Jason. I did think about Windmill, but I guess to be different and pick something different. Um I love Cindy Crawford pumpkin. The energy is so high on it. Like I can just picture like hanging outside, skateboarding. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? It just, I, I think Rachel sounds great on it. It's fun. It's very nineties in a yeah. good way. Like we, we talked about earlier. I mean, just even the fact like Cindy Crawford being in the title is yeah. like such a nineties <laughs> thing. Like, I feel like if I mentioned Cindy Crawford to my 15 year old who say, I have no idea who that is. Um, yeah, but... <laughs> but I love it. I love the, the, the end, how it just ends with the, 
you know, the sing-alongy vocal and the octave yeah. chords. Um, and it's it's like just under two minutes. Yeah. It's uh, it does, it, it, and it reminded me a little bit of like the Pixies, like when they do those, like the Doolittle era, when they'd have those really short, concise songs that are still super catchy. Yeah, when I first got a CD player in my car, I didn't have a whole lot of money left for CDs, so I got to hear Doolittle like a lot. Like it was the best, you know. I had that and a couple, couple other records, but yeah, I just listened to Doolittle till you know, it's just like I knew it, you know. So I'm sure tons of that comes out because I kind of brainwashed myself a little bit with the, the Pixies. <laughs> Is that your favorite of theirs then? Too little? I don't know. There's just so many good songs. Like I kind of just have favorite songs, you know, like uh, Motorway to Roswell. I think that one's on uh, Trump 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 Monde. Hot and, uh, take, but that's that's my favorite Pixies album is Trump Monde. Yeah, yeah. Alec, I, I mean, there's just so much good stuff. All the yeah, because he does, you know, the melodies and harmonies and guitar parts that the Pixies did was a lot of what I wanted to aspire to, kind of. I hear it a lot more on this record, but also like, like we talked about earlier, the other influences as well. Like, yeah, coming from, like you can still feel that this came from the hardcore scene. Yeah. Um, There's a good backstory to Cindy Crawford Pumpkin. Oh, uh, yeah. Because <laughs> Rachel was in Rachel was in cosmetology school or something. She was, in LA she, went to, she was going to US, UCLA. She was modeling, right? <laughs> something like that. But she, was, she, she had, had roommates that were like Tropicana models, I remember, in that one apartment at UCLA. And uh, so every year, every Halloween, you know, they did a Pump. They didn't carve it. They just, I guess, drew a face on it, and it got the little dot on the side, you know, the little beauty mark or whatever Cindy Crawford had. And they were like, this is the Cindy Crawford pumpkin. We do it every year. <laughs> Rachel was like, oh, God. <laughs> and then she just uses the title. And, yeah. Uh, that's funny. Well, and then the song was all about being superficial and materialistic kind of yeah like and that's what i I like and you said that's one that she did more lyrically on right yeah she wrote all the lyrics on that i just i would just kind of put them in you know a melody or whatever nice well i'm glad see i'm glad we got that story too (laughs) and uh but yeah it's a it's a really fun song it's just a fun fun song catchy i like recording on this album a lot more like not yeah It's just the song Cultimus Judgment. Like, I like the whole song, but the ending is probably one of my favorite things I've ever written. Like, and I just say sorry, and it's just this weird chord progression. But it, you know, it's one of those things where, like, that could have been a whole song, or that should have went like five times or whatever. You do the favorite thing you ever wrote, like, just twice on an album, and it's over. But, uh, yeah, you say sorry like 10 different ways. Yeah. Great. Just the outro. I think it's the, because I sometimes I'd get sort of just spontaneous parts where it didn't really feel like I was making them up. They would just sort of come to me and they'd be sort of cooler than stuff that I would have thought of in a way. And I think that was one of those. I mean, you don't get a whole lot of those, but every once in a while I'd get some. I think there's a part like that on Insecurity too, where it just goes into a weird instrumental thing. And I'm like, man, that was neat. He could have, should have expanded on that theme. (laughs) 
Oh, I'm, 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 I, and I'm just glad, you know, we've said it before, but just glad that we get to talk about some of these records that like, there's not much, can't really find that much information about, you know, Whirlpool online. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a lot of the stuff from this era of revelation um, has people that are big fans of it, but yeah, also kinda... like, you know, it's not gorilla, but like you can find out anything you want about gorilla biscuits. Yeah. Um, but this is a little bit different. So I always cool kind of to... wonder about that. Like you had a cool band and you had a record out, but you know, you're not going to get the band together or tour or anything, but if there's some way to sort of promote it, you know, anyway, you know, it's just music now. There's not, you're not, you can't go see the band, but I just can't, you know, it seems like once the band's broken up, you know, people don't just really, don't really promote like old records from the nineties, but I guess just get more information about it out there. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Did and you have any videos? I need to see some yeah. video content. If you have something that you can send our way, that's not out there. I like live videos, right? Live videos, oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> I never recorded anything. Like, I never took pictures or video. Okay. I saw a house show video. Yeah. Um, really? Yeah. It was on that. Is it Come Join Friends on their oh, channel? On Brian Balchak's channel. Yes. Yeah. Um, huh. Really? Yeah. I wonder which one that is. wonder where it's at. We didn't play too many house shows. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up right now. Yeah. I can try to find the it also. It looked like it to me, yeah. Kind of and a darkly lit video. There was another. Could be Coos. Oh. Let me look. Is, is that Coos? And I'm just, uh, <laughs> I'm, just, right? I'm just never been there and I'm so unfamiliar that I thought I mean, it, it literally was a, was a house in Santa Ana. Oh, it was. Okay. Yeah, it was. Okay, a then it might have been it. Yeah. That might have been right the now. one. Keep talking. I'm, I'm, I'm looking. Hmm. I remember playing some house in Orange County right when we first started. Didn't we, Travis? It was like probably. a friend of yours, and it was a bunch of kids like sitting on the floor. And oh, probably we probably played at PT's house. Yeah, it was in fun, Hunter but it Beach. was it was that whole like living room vibe, you know, with the lights yeah. on and there's just kids sitting. On yeah, the we played at PT's <laughs> house. Maybe that's where the videos. That might have been it. Yeah, because Paul, it was called Club PT. It was his mom's house. Uh, yeah, it is the sh the sh the footage is with Piccolo Pete's. So that okay, would make yeah. sense that it was at PT's house, and it says With Matt Enright on base, uh, nine ninety four. Oh, okay, so that's before uh, the first okay. album, then, right? And where's that? I'm gonna you can watch that. Yeah, somewhere? I'm gonna email it to everyone right now. Okay, sweet. Thank and you. then Steve Hertz said that he had some video footage when you played a show out there, and he it's not digitized yet, and it's not available to see. But he said he took uh, some video at. I can't remember what club he said it was at. It might have been Spanky's if you played Spanky's. It was a, it was a club I was familiar with when he said it. It was a popular club in California. I can't remember the name of it, though. Was it Eight and a Half, maybe? I don't know. It was the, yeah. the Troubadour show with Kill Holiday. Maybe that's what it was. Right. Because I had heard of it, and I've heard of oh, Troubadour. Right. So. Uh -huh. That might have been the one. I feel like I just grabbed that flyer um, in my... <laughs> we saw flyer recently... Where it was like Whirlpool, Hav sent it, right? Hav, yeah, yeah, yeah. or was it Jason? Yeah. Mouthpiece. Uh -huh. I sent that one, yeah. Mouthpiece, Whirlpool. Uh, who else I played love that Mouthpiece. One. That was good. Cool I sent that show. in the group chat. That no, was I mean, the Troubadour one, right? With Mouthpiece? Yes, correct. 
I remember the Braid guys were there, but they didn't play. They just came with us, I think. I like reason. this lineup. It was Farside, Mouthpiece, Whirlpool, Kill Holiday, The Suppression Swing. That's right. a cool show. At the Troubadour. Wow. That is a cool show. That's, That's a, a very cool 1995. Right yes, there. it is. In the best way. <laughs> I miss, I now it's making me remember those. Yeah, you get on those bills with five bands and they were all pretty cool and like you knew some of them like we were friends with Farside and Game Face we'd always play these shows where it was like it was all people you knew and like and there was just yeah like six bands I don't know I guess they still do shows like that but I just remember the lineup like the quantity of bands for a show in the 90s just seemed like you know the more the better <laughs> yes yeah they, and then they, some... <laughs> well, they do but I think that now there's not as much, and what do I know? I guess, but and maybe Jason, our our road dog, uh, can tell us, <laughs> can tell us otherwise. But like, I feel like there's not as much variety. Like there'll be these like shows, but the bands are all kind of, you know, in the same. Like like you're not yeah. gonna get, um, you know, Whirlpool playing with mouthpiece, yeah. playing with you know, some heavy metallic sounding hardcore band or whatever. Um, maybe, I mean, I don't know. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, please. But yeah, to my knowledge, it's like a lot of tours, even the package things. It's like bands that make sense together. So yeah, yeah. Like, even if they sound different, it'll still make yeah. sense. So, but more it's more like, well, if, right. if they like, you know, blank, they're going to like blank. Whereas really they're, you know, if you like Whirlpool, it's not guaranteed that you're going to like mouthpiece, you know, not to... Yep. I think there was a festival going on in Europe when we were over there, and uh, Sick of It All and REM were on the same bill. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's <laughs> the Europeans for you. They, you know, they love everything. Yes, that's that's like my dream. <laughs> that's Greg's show. dream show right there. Clobbering <laughs> <laughs> time into losing my religion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, guys, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks again. That was again. fun. Um, Thank you, guys. And uh, like I said, Rodney, you're, you're still – I'm still going to find a way to talk more sense field um, at right. some point. Um, and I, I actually – I got a whole other album worth of demos. I made it sort of like a sci-fi concept album. I still – I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but uh, if I can talk, talk Jordan into something, then maybe I'll be back. Yeah. You know, in 2050. <laughs> awesome. Um, I want to ask something. Actually, this won't go in the recording. But I, I had been meaning to ask a friend of ours, a friend of the pod, Oise. Yo, what's up, everybody? This is Javier from the Where It Went podcast. Listen, if you're listening to this right now, that means you're not probably not a patron, right? You, you're not, you don't subscribe to us on Patreon. If you did subscribe to us on Patreon right now, you'd be listening to about an extra 30 minutes or so of me, Greg, and Jason talking about Whirlpool, about hardcore, about Revelation, about all sorts of shit. But the only way that you can access that, uh, that, that content is by becoming a patron. And you can do that by visiting www.whereitwentpodcast.com and learning more info. But since I have you here, I'm going to give a shout out to our top tier patrons right now. Billy Tunnell, Brandon Gavell, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, Cliche Don, John, 
David Palmer, Dirk Focus, Dustin Perry, JPD2, Jeremy Holohan, Quiet Keith, that's Quiet Fucking Keith, Nate of Head to Wall Fame, Rob Moran, Ryan Walker, Tim Shear, Siren Records, and Dollar Slice Bootlegs. So, anyway, I guess we'll see you next episode. Bit of bow. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>